Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John chapter 10, and I'll read first verses 22 and 23, where John tells us in verse 22, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And then we will look down to verse 30 through verse 36. In verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? As we continue our study this evening in this 10th chapter of John's Gospel, we want to first note the significance of Jesus' presence at the temple in the city of Jerusalem at this particular time, which was the Feast of Dedication, as John tells us in verse 22. Back in the creation, the Garden of Eden was God's temple. It was the place where he dwelt with Adam and Eve as he walked with them in the cool of the day. But by sin, they were cast out of God's dwelling place. No longer did they have his presence or his fellowship with them. But God determined he would make a new way of access to himself. And he set up the tabernacle in the wilderness and then the temple in Jerusalem, which were his dwelling places among his people. He said, here I will dwell among them and walk among them. But the tabernacle and the temple both have their ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. We meet with God and he comes to dwell with us in the person of Christ. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the tabernacle and everything that the tabernacle and the temple symbolized. This is one of the themes in John's gospel here in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, John says, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Shekinah glory cloud that once came into the tabernacle and the temple. Now the true glory of God has come in the Son of God, descending in his incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. 
The Jews thought he was speaking of the temple building in Jerusalem. John tells us he was speaking of the temple of his body because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. And one of the themes in John's gospel as he records Jesus going up to the temple feast in Jerusalem is to show Jesus as the fulfillment of all that those feasts represented. This is what is taking place here in John chapter 10. As John tells us here in verse 22, at that time it was the feast of dedication that took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. It was the feast of dedication. And the background of that feast was that in the year 167 BC, the Syrians under the leadership of a man named Antiochus IV, invaded Israel and conquered Jerusalem. Antiochus gave himself the name Epiphanes, which means God, because he thought he was God. And he became known as Antiochus Epiphanes, and he profaned the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple with pagan worship. And he defiled the altar of the temple by offering pigs upon the altar. And he despised the Jewish religion. Three years later, a Jewish priest named Judas Maccabeus, he led a revolt against the Syrians. He drove them out of Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple. He rededicated the altar. And in commemoration of his victory, they had this annual feast of the dedication. And many believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of that feast, the feast of dedication. That just as the temple was cleansed, so Jesus Christ is the one who comes to cleanse the temple in a much greater way in Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple by casting out the money changers, and overturning their tables. He is the one promise from Malachi chapter 3 who will come like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap, and he will cleanse. He will come to his temple, and he will cleanse the temple. And just as the temple was rededicated, Jesus is the one who has come in the fulfillment of that dedication. In, in verse 36 where he says the Father sanctified him. It could be translated the Father dedicated him and sent him into the world. He is the fulfillment of the feast of dedication. The altar was once again dedicated to God. And Jesus, the true altar, is dedicated by God the Father and sent into the world. He is the fulfillment of the feast of dedication that John mentions in this chapter. So as we begin, as we continue our study in this chapter tonight, after hearing Jesus' words, in which he clearly asserts his deity, his equality with God the Father, in verse 33, the Jews charged Jesus with blasphemy because... They thought he was only a man, and he was making himself out to be God. Jesus 
answers their charge in verse 34 by turning to the scripture. And he says, has it not been written in your law? And then he quotes from Psalm 82 and verse 6. I said, you are God's. And then he makes his defense, beginning with that verse in verse 35. If he, that is God, if he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. Jesus defense here, his argument is from the lesser to the greater. If God called men gods in his own word, and the true meaning of the scripture can never be broken, and if that was not blasphemy for God to say that, then how can you accuse him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, how can you accuse him of blaspheming because he said, I am the Son of God? Now, we do not see in the previous discourse here anywhere where Jesus explicitly said, I am the Son of God, as he mentions at the end of verse 36, but he clearly implied the very same thing by calling God his own Father. And if God was his father, then surely he is the son of God. And as he says in verse 30, I and the father are one, one of the same divine nature. I am of the same divine nature as the father. And so what Jesus is saying at the end of verse 36 is he is summarizing their charge against him. You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And so Jesus answers their charge of blasphemy, beginning back in verse 34, where he quotes from Psalm 82 and verse 6. And our sermon tonight is on Jesus' view of Scripture. Jesus' view of Scripture, especially his words, at the end of verse 35, the scripture cannot be broken. We notice an important point here from Jesus' quote of Psalm 82 and verse 6 at the end of verse 34. It says, I said, he quotes, I said, you are God's. And his entire argument is based upon that single word, God's, in that verse if God in his own word could call men who are mere rulers on earth, if he could call them gods and that was not blasphemy, then how can you charge him of whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world a much greater one? How can you charge him with blasphemy if he takes that same title to himself and says, I am the Son of God. His entire argument is based upon that single word from Psalm 82 in verse 6, the word God's. I said, you are God's. Now if that verse, as we looked at it this morning, if that verse in Psalm 82, verse 6, had read something other than that, if it had read, I said, you are rulers, 
or if it had read, I said you are princes, Jesus would not have been able to make his argument from that verse, his entire argument rests upon that single word, God's, I said, you are God's. His argument rests upon not an entire verse, a single verse, or even a part of a verse. His argument rests upon a single word of Scripture, the word God's. And here we learn that Jesus believed that every Scripture is inspired, every word of Scripture is inspired and breathed out of the mouth of God. This is what we call verbal plenary inspiration, that every word of Scripture is inspired, not just the thoughts of Scripture, but the very words of Scripture themselves are from Him. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture or every Scripture is God-breathed. Many times the prophets would say that the word of the Lord came to me. Not the thoughts of the Lord, but the word of the Lord came to me. Jesus says here in verse 35, to whom the word, the word of God came, the prophets, they spoke the words of God. He is saying, Deuteronomy chapter 18, God promised the Messiah would be a great prophet. He said, I will raise up a prophet from among your countrymen like you, And I will put my words into his mouth. I will put my words into his mouth. And he shall speak all that I command him. Isaiah chapter 51 in verse 16. The Lord said through Isaiah. He said, I have put my words in your mouth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 13. The apostle Paul said of his own writings in his letters. He said they were not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So the words of God are inspired. We speak of the Hebrew of the Old Testament, which was the language of the people of Israel. And we speak of the Greek of the New Testament, which was the common language of the nations at the time of its writing. This was Jesus' view of Scripture here, that every word came from God, and so he could base his entire argument upon that single word from Psalm 82 and verse 6. I said, you are God's. Jesus often spoke of his own words. He said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, he said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. The word of Jesus will judge men on that day. Peter said to Jesus in John chapter 6 and verse 68, Lord, to whom can we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so Jesus had complete confidence in every word of Scripture. In verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken, 
Here we see what Jesus thought of Holy Scripture, his own confirmation of the veracity, the truthfulness, the authority of every word of the Scripture. At the end of verse 35, the Scripture, he says, cannot be broken. The word broken means to prove false, erroneous, so as to be discarded. The word broken there means to annul, to do away with something, to invalidate it as untrue. And Jesus says that such a thing can never happen with the Scripture. The Scripture, the very words of Scripture, they can never be broken They can never be proven false, erroneous in any way. They can never be annulled. The scripture can never be invalidated. The scripture can never be shown to be untrue. It is impossible to do. The scriptures are the words from the living God. The God of truth has spoken and the scripture can never be broken. When Jesus said at the end of verse 35, the scripture cannot be broken. He meant the true meaning, the true intent of the scripture can never be broken or annulled. Men can misuse the scripture. Men can put their own spin on the scripture but they can never annul or invalidate any word of Scripture. Men can gloss over truths of Scripture, pass over them if they are contrary to their own minds and to their own pleasures. And they can pretend that such Scriptures do not exist But those scriptures, Jesus says, they still stand. Though men would reject them and deny them, the scripture still stands and it cannot be broken. It cannot be taken down because men reject it. We who are believers, we may even do something of this kind ourselves when perhaps there is a scripture that convicts our own conscience of some sin that is in our lives that we are not dealing with as we should. What is our tendency in such a situation? Our tendency is to pass over that scripture. Our tendency is to, in some way, pretend, to to pretend that that scripture does not exist, to ignore that scripture. But our passing over the Scripture does not change any word of Scripture. The Scripture still stands and the Scripture still speaks against us. The Scripture cannot be broken. Many men argue with Scripture. 
We see it all the time. They suppress the scripture. They deny the scripture. They ignore the scripture. They even try to banish the scripture. Banish the scripture from the face of the earth. But they can never break the scripture. And the unbelief of men, the unbelief of men can never nullify or invalidate a single word of scripture. Let's turn in our Bibles for a moment to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews, they were entrusted with the scriptures from the Old Testament, the oracles of God, the words that came from God. What then, Paul says, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Their unbelief, the unbelief of men, it will not nullify or invalidate the faithfulness of God and his word. Paul says in verse 4, may it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written. And then he quotes from the Old Testament Psalms, that thou mightest be justified in thy works, what in thy words, and mightest prevail when thou art judged. May it never be. God will be found to be true, though every man is found to be a liar. The scripture cannot be broken. This is what men often think. We find it in our generation very much that they think if they do not believe in the scripture or if they do not believe in a certain teaching of the scripture, then they, then that scripture must not be true. As if my unbelief And my denial of some truth of Scripture invalidates that truth of Scripture as if truth begins and ends with me in my own sovereign mind. But truth begins and ends with God. And he is the only one who has spoken his truth in the Scripture. And nothing, no Scripture can ever be broken Thy word is truth, Jesus said. No man can invalidate even a single word of Scripture, no matter what men may think or do. The Scripture cannot be broken. Let me give you some practical examples of what I say. Many Christians today do not believe in the continuance of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They would tell us that the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, has been abolished in the New Testament. And they think, 
because they have such a vast number who believe the very same thing, that therefore that great number of people in the church has invalidated and nullified that word of God. But it is not true. And no matter if the whole church should rise up against the fourth commandment, it still stands. The scripture cannot be broken. And it cannot be nullified by any man. We could say the same thing in regard to the doctrine of everlasting punishment. The doctrine of hell, which is a very fearful thing to think of. And many have denied it and said it cannot be true, but let God be true, though every man be a liar. The scripture cannot be broken. We live in a time where we have what is called transgenderism. Men trying to be women, women trying to be men and switch their genders God said in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, in the creation, Jesus confirmed it in, jo- in Matthew chapter 19 that God made them male and female from the beginning, and that is the way it always is. And no matter what men do, they cannot change it. The motto of this modern movement is end the binary. That's their Placker, their motto, end the binary, end just the two sexes of the male and the female, end the binary. You cannot end the binary because you cannot end the scriptures because the scriptures cannot be broken. The scripture speaks of one God, his creation. And who we are as image bearers of God. and What has happened to us in the fall into sin. The scriptures tell us why the world is the way it is. Why there is sin and there is death in this world. And the scripture tells us the only way of salvation which is through Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us of the day of judgment that is to come. When every man and woman will stand before Jesus Christ, the judge, and there will be eternity in heaven or in hell forever. It is all true. And no matter what men may say against it, and no matter how hard they may fight against it, the scripture is written, it cannot be broken. Even if the whole world And every person in the whole world should rise up and deny the Holy Scripture. It would still be true. As Paul says here in verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. As we read in Psalm 2, let the kings of the earth Take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed and their word. And let them say, let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast the cords of scripture from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. 
because the scripture cannot be broken. Even our remaining sin, even our remaining unbelief, even our remaining doubts as Christians cannot nullify the scripture. Even when we feel that the scripture is not true, the scriptures still are true. Not a single word of God will ever fail. And not a single promise will ever fall to the ground. It is impossible for him to ever lie. And we may have complete confidence in every promise that God has spoken. And they may always be our comfort and our hope in every circumstance and trouble of life. The scriptures cannot be broken. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Once the word has gone forth from his mouth and written in the scriptures, it can never be returned, and it can never be broken. Men are fickle, and men change their minds, and they may say that one thing is true at one time, and they may say that another thing is true at a different time. But it is not so. With God, his words are always true in every generation. His words are true to the end of the world and into eternity. The word he spoke thousands of years ago is as true today as when it was first spoken. The scripture cannot be broken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. The word of God is a living and abiding word of God, a living word, not a dead word spoken at one time and then it fades away. A living word that continues for all generations. Forever, O Lord, the psalmist says. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens, fixed in the heavens. Every word of Scripture given by God, every word that is needful for us, for our faith and our life in this world and our salvation, it has all been written down by the prophets and the apostles in the Scriptures, the sacred writings. One of Jesus' favorite phrases will turn back to John chapter 10 for a moment. John chapter 10. One of his favorite phrases is that it is written. He says there in verse 34, has it not been written in your law? It has been written. This is what he would often say. It is written. He meant it is written in the scriptures. Or he would say, have you not read? And then he would quote from the scriptures. And we believe that Not only every word of the scripture has been given by God, but we believe that every word has been preserved by his providential care just as it was given and written originally. Some claim that there are errors in the scripture. They say there are errors in the transcription, the scribal errors transcribing them, passing them on through the generations. They say there are historical errors and scientific errors in the scripture. 
There may be, as, Paul, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, there may be some things that are hard to understand which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction, but there are no errors in the Scriptures. You may ask me a question about Scripture that I cannot fully and completely answer. But the problem, the difficulty, is not in the Scriptures. The problem, the difficulty, is in my own weak and finite mind. The Scriptures are God-breathed, every word. And the Scriptures cannot be broken. When Jesus speaks here of the Scripture, at the end of verse 35, he means all the Scripture. He is looking back over the entirety of the Old Testament. From the book of Genesis and the Pentateuch written by Moses 1,500 years before, And he is speaking of all the books of the Old Testament written over the centuries by all of the different prophets sent by God all the way to the book of Malachi written 400 years before the coming of Jesus. All of it, he says. Every word, every word of the scripture. Genesis to Malachi beginning to end. And he would say the same thing in regard to the New Testament scripture as well. The scripture cannot be broken Every word, he rests upon the words of Scripture. But we should notice that the inspiration and the truthfulness of Scripture in Jesus' mind extends not just to the words, but to the tense of the words. And we can see his entire argument is based upon the tense of a verb if we turn to the book of to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. Jesus was in a debate with the Sadducees, beginning in verse 23. The Sadducees said there was no resurrection. And Jesus says to them down in verse 31, he says, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God saying, and then he quotes what God said to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. And God said to him, I am, I am present tense. I am at this present time. I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now when God said those words back in Exodus chapter 3, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been dead for hundreds of years. And he did not say, I was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, but he said, I am. Present tense, I am now presently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if he is presently the God of Abraham, then Abraham must be alive. And if he is the God of Isaac and Jacob, then there must be a life after death. Their bodies are in the graves, but their souls must be alive with God. And there must be a resurrection of their bodies in the end. 
Because, as he says at the end of verse 32, he is not the God of the dead, but of the God of the living. And Jesus' entire argument here rests upon the tense of the verb to prove that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive with God in heaven. The scriptures are inspired not just down to the words, but to the tenses. And the scriptures cannot be broken. That was Jesus' view of the scriptures here. We can turn to another passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And verse 17, Jesus said, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Jesus says the word of God is more stable, more secure than the whole creation. It would be easier for the stars of the heavens to vanish and for the ground beneath our feet to disappear, than for a single stroke of a letter of the law to fail or to be proven untrue. A most astonishing statement of Jesus here. That the certainty of the words, the certainty of the scripture extends, the inspiration of the scripture extends, not just to the words, Not just to the words, and not just to the tenses of the verbs, but to a single stroke, to a single stroke of a letter in the law. Like the dot on an I and the crossing of a T. You could search the Old Testament scripture. You could not find the smallest stroke of a letter which will not be accomplished. The scripture cannot Be broken. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 5 and verse 18. He said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. The truthfulness of God's word has been put to the test in every generation. We'll turn in our Bibles back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 12. Psalm 12 and verse 6. David says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on on the earth, refined seven times. The word, the words of the Lord, they are pure words. They have no dross, they have no impurities in them. And there cannot be any falsehood or any corruption or any deception whatsoever found in his word. The word of the Lord is pure word, his words, and it can be trusted. He compares it to silver that is 
tried in a furnace, refined seven times over and over again, the word of God is pure. And David makes this statement in verse 6 in a very perilous time when the righteous seem to be overwhelmed by the sheer number and wickedness of the world around them. If we look back in verse 1, he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. That's the time in which he spoke these words, when there seemed to be no godly man left, when there seemed to be no one who was faithful in the ways of God. In verse 2, he says, They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. And so men seem to all of them be speaking lies to one another and falsehoods. But when men speak lies to one another, God still speaks the truth and his word can still be trusted. And that's what he's saying down in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. This is what has been happening since the beginning of time. The promises of God, the word of God, they have been put into the furnace. They have been put into the fiery trials of the lives of the saints. In all the troubles that his people must pass through in every generation, And the quality and the truthfulness of his words are being tested as they trust in them. And this is the conclusion of it all. After all the centuries and the thousands times thousands of saints who have trusted his word. The conclusion is in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on earth, refined seven times. That's what their lives have proven. We could go back into the scriptures and we could look over the life of Noah. We could see the life of Abraham. The life of Elijah. The life of all the saints of the Old Testament. And this would be the conclusion of all of their lives that the word of the Lord can be trusted and it is pure words. The scripture cannot be broken. If we were to go up into heaven tonight and ask the saints in heaven, was there ever a promise that you rested your soul upon and cried to God for and that promise was not fulfilled? They would all say with one voice, it can never be. The words of the Lord are pure words and the scripture can never be broken. We turn in our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. And verse 9. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This is uh, Jeremiah being commissioned as God's prophet. Notice what he says there, that he says, I will put my words in your mouth. The words that will come to Jeremiah will be the words of God. 
Verse 10, God says, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. He speaks there, the Lord speaks of the great and the marvelous works that he will do among the nations and the kingdoms of the earth. Terrible judgments he will bring upon many And he will reveal all of these things to his prophet Jeremiah. And then in verse 11, he says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Now, it may be that the rod of this tree meant the chastisement of the nations, but the Lord explains more now in verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That's the phrase that I want us to focus our attention on. The end of verse 12, God says, For I am watching over my word to perform it. So this is what the Lord is announcing to Jeremiah. I will give you my words. And I will tell you of all my works among the nations. I will put my words in your mouth as my prophet. And then you will take my words and you will write them down in the book as holy scripture. And then from my throne of glory and power in heaven. I will be watching over every word that I have spoken. I will be watching over every one of them to perform them and to make sure that every one of them is accomplished. This is what our Lord Jesus does in heaven tonight from his throne of great power. He watches over every word that he has spoken, every part of every word, just as he intended it, every tense of the words that he has spoken, every jot and tittle of the little letters of the law, Every word, Jesus Christ, with power, with all power in heaven and earth, is watching over his word. I, he says, I am presently, always, continuously, forever and ever, I am watching over every one of my words to perform them. What could be more certain and what could be more sure than this? To have the great glorious God of heaven looking down from his throne of power in heaven and watching over every word that he has spoken to perform it. And that's what he's doing with every passage of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. There is no word that he has spoken anywhere that he is not watching over to accomplish it and to bring it all to pass. And here in John chapter 10, no wonder the Son of God comes down from heaven in an incarnation from that throne. And he can tell us that the scripture cannot be broken. The Old Testament scripture was inspired by Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit from Christ was 
within the prophets as they were predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The New Testament is also inspired by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in John 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole Bible is inspired by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In this mysterious and supernatural miracle, he spoke his own words. The Holy Spirit brought those words down from heaven and inspired men to write them in the pages of the Scripture. And Jesus descends from heaven and he has such confidence in the words, even down to the tenses and even down to the jot and tittles of the letters of the law. And who, and who could know more of the truthfulness of Scripture? And who could be a better faithful, a more faithful witness concerning the veracity of the Scripture than Jesus Christ, our Lord? And what does he say? Down to the words, to the tenses, to the jot and tittles of the letter, he says, every Scripture Scripture cannot be broken. We turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and... Jesus here in his argument to defend himself against the client, the charge of blasphemy. He goes back to a relatively obscure verse in Psalm 82 and verse 6 and he bases his entire argument on that single word, God's. And by his own example, of going back to what we would think was, is a relatively obscure verse of the Old Testament and basing his entire argument upon that one word, what we learn from Jesus is there are treasures, there are treasures to be found in the smallest places of the Scripture there are jewels to be found in the hidden corners of God's holy word. Proverbs chapter 2 tells us of how wisdom is found in the scriptures. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. How do men seek for silver? And how do they search for hidden treasures? They dig down deep into the earth. They labor with their shovels and they sweat in their labor. And they bring out their drills and they burrow down into the darkest places 
They even go down into the depths of the sea to find hidden treasures. And we can do the same with the scriptures. And we can find unsearchable gems and treasures for our souls in the scriptures. In the hidden places. With the smallest word of God. There is no end to the truth that we may find in his word. We may dig for a lifetime. We will never come to the end. Every word, every tense, every jot and tittle is truth and power and comfort from the living God. The Son of God has come down from heaven to confirm this to us. And he has told us that the scriptures cannot be broken. We close with two applications tonight from what we've seen of Jesus' words here, that the scripture cannot be broken. Two things we say briefly. The first is how careful we should be to walk in all the ways of the scripture. The scripture is our guide on the narrow way that leads to life. Psalm 119, 105 Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn, David says, and I will confirm it that I will keep thy righteous ordinances. If God's way of life in the scripture is true, the only good and right way, and the scriptures cannot be broken, they cannot be invalidated or nullified by any man, no matter what we do, then we ought to be careful to make sure that we are living according to them in every way of life. God commands us how we should live in private. He gives us direction in our family life as mothers and fathers, as sons and daughters. He tells us how we should live in the world as citizens in the workplace, how we should conduct ourselves as members of the church. We must be careful that we walk in all of his ways because our not walking in his ways will not nullify any of the scriptures. The scriptures cannot be broken. They will still stand and we must know them and walk in them. Blessed be God. He has not only given us the scripture that cannot be broken. He has given to us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us now and Christ lives in us. And the Holy Spirit gives us understanding into the truth of the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the power to walk in the scriptures. So we not only have the scriptures that cannot be broken, we have the spirit to give us light and the spirit to give us power. I will put my spirit within them, God says, and enable them and cause them to be careful to walk in my statutes. Every word of God is true, and that promise is true as well. A second application we close with tonight From Jesus' words here that the scripture cannot be broken. And it is that we may find much comfort and hope and joy from the scriptures. How many wonderful promises has God given to us in the scripture? The greatest fears that we may have in this life, whatever they may be, they are relieved and lifted from us. The greatest burdens are relieved from us by the promises of God in the scripture. He has promised to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. 
He will provide all of our needs richly by his glory in Christ Jesus. Even if the worst should ever happen to us, and it will, that we will die, then we shall still live because we will go to be with Christ forever. There will be a resurrection. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. When he returns from heaven and we are all raised, what a glorious day it will be. The wicked will cry out in great terror, but we will see the Lord Jesus returning for us, raising us from the dead with power, bodies of power, glory, and honor, and we will see him with our eyes, and we will rejoice because the glorious Savior has come, the one that we have waited for. Everything that he has said, he says the scripture cannot be broken. And everything that he has said in the previous verses of this chapter cannot be broken. My sheep hear my voice. He says in verse 28, I give eternal life to them. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. And not even the Father. No, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That is scripture. Every scripture. No scripture can ever be broken. We live in a world that has no hope. We live in a world that has no future beyond the grave. What a desperate way to live one's life. To think that death is the end of all things. For us, it is the beginning of glory. We have great hope because these hopes are spoken so clearly to us in the scripture. The scripture cannot be broken. We shall see the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And we shall see his face. He has promised so many things to us. It is our joy, our hope, our comfort that we trust ourselves and rest our souls upon the scriptures entirely. May we love them. May we believe them. May we have great confidence in them. The scripture cannot be broken. Let's pray. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for your glorious word that is true, the word that has come from heaven and is written for us in the book. Lord, help us, we pray, to love your word, to rest our souls upon it, to believe all that you have said. And we thank you for the glorious confidence of our Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures himself when he said, the scripture cannot be broken. We pray, Lord Jesus, bless your word to us now tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.